0: Is intriguing. I'm just out here surviving, and what I'm doing right now won't even matter. Oh,
1: baby, baby, it will always matter.
0: You said you fixed that! Get a room! I got a room, motherfucker!
2: Hey Cash, how much longer do I gotta wait
0: for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your family. And- Me and my family? Yeah. Cash is I'm your fucking uncle. I just really need a job. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. Hello? Oh, uh, this is Cassius Green. Sorry to bother you. i I just wanted to mi- You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? Thank this young blood.
1: Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston
3: from Regalview.
0: Was that Visa or Mastercard? We level it up! You're going upstairs, my compadre. Okay, bravo. You don't have to sell out. I'm not selling out. Here's the starting salary. Well, man, I'm gonna have to get me some new suits. We will have a transformative experience. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! doing something I'm really good at. Holla hala hala. Cassius the old you is way more interested. You are rolling with the big dogs. now.
3: Greetings, Cassius Green. I hope you did not masturbate today. We need you sharp and ready to go.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to the special bonus episode of Citizen Game. We had so much that we wanted to talk about regarding Sorry to Bother You, but we didn't want to spoil it for people who hadn't seen it yet, because I think it goes wide today, correct? Mm -hmm. That sounds right. Um, So this is a special bonus episode where if you've already seen Sorry to Bother You, and if you have not, stop listening to this episode, go see it, and then come back. We'll wait. Um, This will be talking about spoilers and all the stuff that we wanted to talk about when we talked about it last week, but we couldn't because we're not dicks who spoil things on the internet. So, yeah. Um, I am once again joined by Karen Peterson. Hi. Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. So, we're just going to dive right in to... If I were
1: more talented, I would have said hi by making a horse noise, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> i would say we're all pretty white so i mean our voices already sound like this so i mean we really can't do much to alter that you either you
4: can't do the white person voice i don't know i we'd I mean, probably make my more nasal
2: <laughs> i could probably like yeah and we, i don't think any of us can convincingly pass for a white male no no, no. no. it's just no. usually like dropping an octave and Saying shit a lot, and I kind of already do that in a higher register, so why bother? Uh, so sorry to bother you. Is uh, directed, directed and written so, by Boots Riley. Well, I'm just so got it. I'm, I'm so, so like, all,
4: honestly, all I'm doing right now is I'm thinking about one of my one of my white male friends who once tried to rap the entirety of *Chameleonaires* writing.
2: Oh my god, are you serious? Is there video of this? There's
4: (laughs) not video of it. This was back in, like, college or whatever. And, like, and he was just so white and none of us could stop laughing because he was so white it was like the whitest thing i have ever and he's trying so hard it's like <laughs> you see me rolling <laughs> oh they hating.
2: like it's really There's so amazing. much enunciating I love yes, we're doing so karaoke,
1: much. and my friend stacy did um oh shit i should have thought of the song name first uh kanye um gold digger It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen, except for the scary thing is, like, she's super white Mormon girl, and she was really good. (laughs) (laughs) There's a video of
2: that, too.
1: I, you know, I was forbidden from sharing it. I remember,
2: like, what, a year, a couple years ago, when it was all white girls trying to do acoustic versions of Rihanna's work, and all of it was bad. (laughs) there are just some songs that as white people like we're not equipped to ever try to sing let alone acoustic you know that's why we have ed sheeran okay that's why ed sheeran exists Mm -hmm. you know if you need if you need old sad bastard white music that you can play you know sadly like that's your boy um but sorry (laughs) to bother you trying to bring it back around um is directed and written by Boots Riley. Um, it's set in Oakland, one of two Oakland-set movies that uh, are coming out in relative proximity. Um, this and Blind Spotting. Uh, this is uh, stars Keith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Jermaine Fowler, uh, Army Hammer, bunch of awesome people in it. Stephen the Yes, exactly. Well, as I he's Glenn from The Walking Dead. Yes, like, that's he is. that's what he's gonna be. I, I leaned over and told my friend, "This is what he was doing before the zombies came."
0: <laughs> yes. but I maintain I maintain
2: shared universe right there um he was
1: delivering pizzas <laughs> probably organizing a pizza delivery union yes
2: yes, yes. <laughs> I I'm telling you I will I will bring them all together I will create a shared filmic universe for what was happening before the walking dead took hold give me like oh, there there needs to be fan fiction on this if it's not there yet um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it tells the story of Cassius Green played by Lakeith Stanfield who is uh, rising up the ranks of a telemarketing firm by using his white man voice and things go off the rails from there when he gets to become a power caller and enters this bizarre ass world um, that involves race and classism and possibly, well no, there's no possibly slavery, um, all of that. All set in modern day Oakland. Um,
1: Isn't it technically indentured
2: servitude? it's te- exactly it's technically a de- everything sounds a better if army hammer and a scarf <laughs> redefines it uh so i mean we kind of gave our our overall thoughts when we did the original um episode so this is spoiler filled i'm not gonna i'm stressing this one more time we are gonna talk spoilers so if you do not want to know spoilers from this movie don't listen to this episode right now um, we recommend it just go see it um, so yeah, everybody's been warned. Where do we want to start?
1: <laughs> Let's start with the fact that this movie, in only like a handful of cities across the country last week, came in seventh place at the box office,
3: Woo-hoo! which is
2: really Amazing.
1: exciting. Exciting so. Yeah.
2: and so well deserved.
3: Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm really, I'm really curious what it's going to do this week.
2: Yeah, this is playing in one theater in my town, um, and I'm actually surprised it's here in my town. And that's I live in a point. Like, exactly. I live there. in a, I live in a very white, um, middle class suburban neighborhood um, where, yes, people post on our Facebook group that like they don't see color. Um, so I was sitting there thinking, oh god, this is gonna go right over their heads. I've not seen this with a uh, regular audience yet, so um, I, I don't know if that's gonna be the case. But yeah, this this movie coming so closely after me seeing Blind Spotting, I was like. I love that Oakland has become the de facto ground zero of, you know, what is what is happening in the mm-hmm. world, and this movie presents Oakland in a more hyper, surrealistic, exaggerated way. Um, it is modern day, but the the um, the company that Army Hammer's character runs is relatively well known in the community and is um, allowed to exist and i think it's really funny because it's one of those it's a a company where essentially like you sell over your soul um and you get housing and what is it like food and medical care and you have a job basically
1: all your needs for like right
2: and and if you know what's going on in in san francisco and oakland with the tech companies and like google campus and all these other companies where they're like you'll never have to leave work Cause we will provide everything for you um disney does this too like it's it sounds really great and, but at the same time this movie is pretty much saying like no that is a step away from from being you know legalized slavery
4: <laughs> well it's very similar to what i think i mentioned this on our select it's very similar to what the um the movie the circle was trying to do uh which came out last year and is a terrible movie, but it was it's similar to what like they were attempting, which is a much more direct corollary to to social media culture and to Google campus and stuff like that um, but in a sort of like no, this is a very bad thing. This is not, like, you know, it sounds great until you really begin thinking about it because it is slavery. It is indentured servitude. It's like, oh, you can, you'll live here and work here and eat here and we will take care of all of your needs. You just have to sign yourselves over to us forever.
2: Right, and I think, what is it, Terry Crews' character who who's um, Cash's uncle says it's three hots and a cot, which is, like, that's prison terminology right there. So, <laughs> yeah they're aware of this they're aware of what it brings but the security and knowing that most people are getting you know um phased out of these places because they can't afford it anymore Mm -hmm. like that's how they get you the idea sounds so enticing because in theory you never have to worry about financial instability well
1: and that's one of the things that like you were talking about why it's so significant that oakland is the setting of the film i mean this is something that's really happening not only in Oakland but in other areas where downtown parts of cities have kind of um, have kind of collapsed. And so in these in these pushes to rebuild those cities, what they're doing is they're pushing out the people who can't who can't afford good housing, lower income people. And so they're getting pushed out of these places. And then it's like, then where are they supposed to go? I mean, it's it's a problem that's happening all over the country.
2: Mm-hmm yeah and and I think that that this movie does it does so many things, but a lot of it I think where blind spotting looks and I'm gonna be throwing out comparisons because the two are really just kind of two halves of a whole where that looks at the whole concept of like the people that are just the average resident are are kind of bringing in their own health. This is pretty much saying like corporate America is definitely the, the reason why things are the way they are, because it's not just the big company, the worry-free company that's that's doing all this, it's also the telemarketing company, you know, with the whole concept of, like, we're, we're going to incentivize selling and have these different classes of sellers, um, one that comes with their own uh, elevator and 62-number, like, passcode, um, <laughs> and, and the whole concept of, like, unionizing, which... We all see in our field nowadays with like places like BuzzFeed and and newsrooms trying to unionize, um, and so I, I I thought it was funny. I went with my friend who, who used to work at a um, a store in the mall, and she was like, "You have no idea. This is like every conversation, every com every employees ever had with like a group. Like we should unionize and what that means." Um, and and so I thought that was really cool as well that that it's also talking about like all of this goes back to corporate america and the average joe trying to unionize is up against so much
4: it it feel, you know sometimes just talking about this if sometimes it feels like we're living in like the 1920s or something like that or the 1930s because yeah this this <laughs> is the sort of thing like you know i think back when my my great grandfather was uh, a member of a coal miners union and you know they had to they had to deal with things like strike breakers and um and you know the the mine owners basic basically owning you right you so you had to go to you had to shop in the company store you had to live in the company house you had to uh oh you basically only associated with people from the company and it's the same goddamn thing only now it's like it's like middle class america that was working class america this is this is more like the push towards middle class america the tech workers the um you know basically every Everybody beneath the one percent.
1: <laughs> well, I'm in a union. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But um, no, 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 but yeah, and this is the thing. I mean, I, it's definitely not like what it was at the time when unions were really making huge changes, necessary changes in you know industrial, uh, different industrial fields. But you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of a lot of unions still do a lot of good but it's also it really does create this very hive mentality like in my union sometimes they're trying to push for things that i'm like i don't necessarily agree with that but it's like you can't dare speak out because people will just like come after you or not i mean that's over dramatic but i mean they'll just like all these people will just come out of the woodwork to try to convince you of why you should think this or why you should agree with that and it's like but i don't see it this way and i'm not necessarily wrong either you know and that's
4: and that's where the, in, in this film that's where some of it comes into play is that that right. difference between him advancing as an individual um and being and basically and basically being offered a management position that's what's happening he's being moved out of they see him in he's very popular he's very successful they see him in some ways as a threat you know if this very popular successful guy continues to work with the union, we're going to, so we're going to try to shift him out of that and into, you know, becoming a power caller and this sort of more money mentality, like all of that. And then that, the conflict that develops between him and the Danny Glover character and and his other friends who are working within the union. And then, and also his girlfriend who is kind of off doing her own thing, but is definitely within the, the more socialist milieu. Right. Yeah, there's, Um, but that okay. that conflict between the un between the company, the individual, and the union, all of whom are sort of pushing and pulling the individual in various different ways and insisting that, you know, no, you want to be with us, no, you want to be with us. And he's kind of like, I wanna be myself and I wanna be successful, but I also can't abandon these people. Right. Well, it
2: also is a movie that, you know, we really pray really questions the nature of like individual success versus generational success which is something that a lot of of music you know music i think of i think of jay-z's new album um talking this concept of like generational success that it's not enough to be a minority in this country and elevate yourself you need to be working towards elevating the next generation and setting up this world that is going to be better because too often individual success is used as a means of getting you to shut up and comply and and you know use you as the success story so so cash being offered the position is great for him because you know he wants to um make himself proud in his you know elevate himself but at the same time there's this whole grander Thing, and a lot of it is the fact that he's being used as this grand example. Like when he goes to the house where where Army Hammer's character lives, like he's elevated as like this example, uh, much like Omari Hardwick's character is. Of, and I'm gonna use um, what is the term? from like uh it's like literary theory what like um not nativizing but like the other you know the subaltern i think is what i'm going for here that like that concept of like we've we've and you see it a lot with colonial literature that concept of like this is the the noble savage this is who we've we've elevated and he's risen above his race And thus, this is how others should aspire within that community. Um, But really, it's just a different type of control by the white status quo.
4: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of dialogue about blackness and what blackness means and the whole having to put on the white person's voice in order to sell things and then that and his ability of doing that actually winds up advancing him and makes him become and then that the, the chilling moment when he's when he's finally asked to literally perform in front of all of the white the rich white people. Yes. Yeah.
2: That scene is so <laughs> I mean so... let's talk about
4: that. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: I was cringing the whole time I watched that because it's so not only is it just offensive just in general um to to put him on the spot and and tell him he should rap but the fact that what elevates everybody's thinking and what makes them all happy is him just saying the most horrific base type of of uh stereotype about about black people is just i I mean it's like stuff that reminds me of like atlanta you know, if anybody's mm-hmm. watched that. It's, it's very similar to something Donald Glover, I think, would have commented on.
4: Yeah, he, he's put... Well, he is. He's pushed into this role of performing for them. And, um, and I'm, I, I remember, because I, I really don't... Because we, we just talked about this. We're all white chicks. So we have not experienced this. Uh, but I, a number of people... Uh, a, a number of writers of color, when they were talking about this film, actually referenced that specific scene about that... The notion of being asked to rap by white people, and that that being like it's some way black people be, it being assumed that all black people can rap. It's kind of like all black people can
1: dance, all
4: or they all you know, know each other. Stuff yeah, everybody like knows each other. You're like all of that stuff. Every, everything. That I has have been seen that
1: Oprah has no rhythm. So, <laughs>
4: <laughs> but everything that has you know it's like all all Chinese people are you know are good right. at math. It's it's those um those positive you know the positive stereotypes it's like well isn't that a good talent to have it's just like yeah it's a good talent but you can't assume that every black person is capable of rapping and that that is actually a, an incredibly as uncomfortable of, as uncomfortable as it makes us it makes actual african americans that much more uncomfortable because this is a reality uh and that's it's such a powerful moment and it's so horrifying at the same time and you, and it's very indicative that that's that's the turn that the film takes that's the point at which the film takes its left turn and begins going off in a in a very unpredictable direction
2: it's it's the selling of his soul essentially at that point and it's again to to go with with kind of deep diving into like literature and, and theory and all of that like for me it was very reminiscent of like a Ralph Ellison if anybody's seen like in Red, or if anybody's read Invisible Man you know it's very similar to some of the scenes in that book just in terms of the concept of like African Americans having to perform dehumanizing things in order to provide entertainment to white audiences um so so I I think that's intentional callback from from Boots Riley and it's just it's so cringy. The end. Enti- I, I do. I don't want to save the third act for the end, but okay, so sorry. I, I do want to talk. I I know Lauren brought up the very pleasant fight in the the last episode when we talked about this. Yeah. The the um the war of compliments.
1: <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. It's just such a funny moment. <laughs> it's so perfect. I mean, it's just so great the way. Because it's it's so unexpected. It's it's this moment where it's these two people that are really mad at each other and they're totally arguing, but they're but from an outside perspective, you don't really know if they're arguing or if they're not. Like, can we talk about going out for
2: drinks and stuff? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like no, I'll pay. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's just such a great moment.
2: Yeah, I I thought that was that was really fun. And again, I'm. Not trying to bring it back to the other movie, but both movies, both this and Blind Spotting, have a very weird use of argument that is very, very interesting. Very different scenes, but but also awesome. Yeah. Um,
4: well, it it feeds back into some of the stuff about the white voice and what is being said is not actually what is being said. Um, right. Right. You know, yeah. he, they're they're fighting with each other, and the way but the things that they are saying are you know very pleasant and you know it's just like i hope you have a great day well i hope you have a great week you know that kind of thing is like so there's this there's that disconnect of like what we on un- what we understand from their tone of voice and what we understand from the actual words that they're speaking Can which you is
3: very similar me, are they in their white voices in this scene I can't no, no they're
2: not it's it's okay. the scene it's it's um it's Lakeith Stanfield's character and Jermaine F- Jermaine Fowler's character. Right. Salvador. Yeah.
4: They're they're it's when he is basically yeah. breaking the strike. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. He's he's crossing the picket line for the first time, and they and they get into a fight, and eventually Donald Glover steps in and breaks the two of them up, and so everybody around them understands that they're fighting, and that they're that there is like a real animosity that is developing between these two friends. And it, and it affects them for the rest of the film. At, but at the same time, we're listening to them saying these very pleasant things to one another. That um, yeah, it's very reminiscent of the, the white voice sort of dichotomy of like, what is being said versus the way that we hear it.
2: Well, and it goes mm-hmm. back to what Tessa Thompson's character says, which is, what is it, don't listen to what I say, listen to what I want.
4: And right. so, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: it, goes, it goes back to that. We didn't talk about Tessa Thompson yet, um, she plays Detroit, the the girlfriend of Cash. She's also an artist and there's I, I did find it really interesting. Her plot line is somewhat different from everybody else's in that she's an artist who predominantly sells art to rich people. Um, and and her art is kind of harkening back to like showing the horrors of Africa, but it's going on a wall that's, you know, probably some wealthy asshole. And her performance art is utterly dehumanizing um but i really like her in this movie um and again when she has her little performance where she's quoting from the last dragon um it's 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 hilarious but it's also just horrid because she's getting stuff thrown at her at the same time but it's all supposed to be artistic um i I think the only thing i didn't really care for about her character is that there's um emphasis on her being involved in, like, this, um, like, activist group, um, that I don't think is extrapolated enough, like, I wanted more from it, but there's so much that's happening in the movie already, I don't really know where you could have added it, um, but I, I love Tessa Thompson to begin with, so honestly, I, I don't care.
3: (laughs) With that, it could have
2: used its own movie.
3: Yeah. Because I know I found myself wanting more of that, too, um, as they started kind of showing in the, kind of the side, her and the the uh yeah i'm trying to remember the name it was it left eye left in my eye place? yeah left eye and yeah that was so interesting and she was so fascinating and so great in that movie that i just found myself wanting more and yeah and the development
4: of like her earrings as these those pieces yeah. of commentary that she is she's const she has different like words in her ears or different at one point she's got like she's wearing earrings that are like a guy in an electric chair
1: Mm-hmm. Um, that's after the murder 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 kill 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 ones those were the best
4: <laughs> I, I mean i almost think that you could just read some kind of a meta commentary throughout the film via tessa thompson's earrings and clothes well, and, and that was on
2: top of her t-shirts if anybody was reading mm-hmm, her yeah. t-shirts which were fantastic and i think i need one or all Pretty sure that? they're selling
1: the t-shirts and the earrings. I
2: know. I need to. I need to break down and and buy one because I heard yeah. someone
3: talking about
2: buying the murder, murder, kill, kill earrings. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. I've seen them selling. Yeah, I I thought she was great. Um, okay,
4: but I I do want to ask about that that um, the art the art house scene is a, a, when she's getting pelted with
2: cell phones and <laughs> cell
4: phones and and balloons full of sheep's blood. Yeah. Okay, so, what do you... I, I don't know what to make of this. What do you guys make of that scene? What is the What is the film trying to do? Not necessarily what is she trying to do, but what is the film trying to do with that sequence in, in terms of the way that it informs the rest of the movie?
2: I mean, the movie yes. implies... The movie implies that, oh, this is just what... She mentions that, oh, that's he's got his hustle, she's got hers, and that... The concept of how, you know, we debase ourselves in different ways for respect and admiration. Um, The problem that I had, and maybe this is what he's saying, is that for her, it involves exposing her body and also opening herself up to violence. And I was like, is that what he's saying? That women specifically, in order to get respect and admiration and promote themselves often end up doing it to the detriment of their their sexuality or their safety or something like that I, I i i don't know if that's what he was going for that's how i took it but at the same time i was also kind of disappointed that we had to watch that in order to get that point see i i had zoomed in and this is nowhere near as an
3: in- intellectually reading as you ladies are putting out i mean i know as i was watching it and then i had drawn the same kind of conclusion with the rap scene as well the performances as a critique on in this case a very critique on high art and in the other case thinking about this upper echelon audience getting pulled into because i had when I was watching the rap scene, I was kind of zooming in on the words and how they were reacting and that they were getting so suckered in and so so pulled into it Mm -hmm. with just... I was reading it as just one large critique on these
2: high-echelon, high-art audiences. I can can see that, because what I thought of was the opening credits of Nocturnal Animals. And if... The the controversy that people had about that, and whether it was exploitative to have um, obese women who were nude kind of gyrating, and that's the point of the, for me, when I watched that movie, that was the point. It's this concept of, like, art is really becoming trashy, and there's really no rhyme or reason to it. It's just, if somebody tells you it's artistic, then it is um and that's i that's kind of how i was starting to think maybe that's what he was going for here is that art at this point has just become so undefined that literally like stabbing somebody and having their blood drip on a canvas would be considered artistic if the right people are telling you that it is
1: yeah well and i think yeah for me when i was watching it i think i was more drawn to the fact that not by the fact that she was standing up on the stage allowing people to throw all this stuff at her but the fact that people were doing it
2: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: so that that's where i was just like oh okay so because someone says hey do this thing for this this kind of what you're exactly what you're saying Kristen. because someone else is telling me if you do this it's artistic then they're like yeah okay like i don't I can't imagine where I would be sitting there going like, yeah, sure. I'm going to participate in this, but other people do. And we see it happen all the time.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It it seems like, and that, that that'll make sense. And it can be both. It can be both. Like this is in some way exploitative that this is the film itself making, like you're saying, making a commentary on the fact that, that women exploit themselves and that artists in general are forced to exploit themselves in order to make money. Um, And and but then also this sort of undercurrent of of cynicism or humor or something that like, look I can convince these stupid primarily white people to purchase you know, rich white people to purchase my art that isn't really art at all just because I tell them that it's art. And that's a kinda that's an interesting sort of dichotomy that's running through all that. And it's some again it's goes it's similar to What is being sold? I mean, what is what are they actually selling? What is the what is Cash is selling as a telemarketer? He selling like he's selling encyclopedias.
2: I thought when he was yeah when when he's yeah in the beginning beginning, yeah yeah. he's selling like yeah encyclopedias or I thought they might have been like self help books possibly he mentions the one to the woman who's got the dead husband yeah,
1: yeah that
2: there's there's a book that's all about the grieving process and everything
4: well and he said he says to the one guy like you know oh you'll you'll get lots of girls because they'll see these leather bound books on your shelf and mm-hmm. and so he's selling something like he's not selling what he's selling he's he's selling an image he's not right. selling an actual encyclopedia that is going to teach you anything
1: which is what good salespeople do yeah
2: yeah, I, I thought this was great to watch after watching Generation Wealth, which is all about the accumulation of a lifestyle and what looks to be wealthy, and, and bu- buying books is one of them, but they never actually bothered to read them. It goes all the way back to like what what Lauren was saying, the 20s, and, and Gatsby. It's almost Gatsby-like, you know, the, the concept of like promoting this lifestyle, but you're not actually appreciating any... Like, Cash gets this big, beautiful house in Oakland, and he's barely in it. You know, there's no there's no attempt to enjoy the wealth that you've accrued. Um, unless unless the only way you're enjoying it is turning your house into something out of fucking Caligula, as Army Hammer's character does. Do we want to talk about the third act? Is there anything else in the beginning that we haven't touched on?
1: I think we're ready to go. i say let's right. dive into
2: the act three there. So third act, um, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Horse people. <laughs> So
1: Kristen talk about What you really want to talk about Yeah you did not want to say people Army hammer
2: (laughs) and horse people Um, Man spreading army hammer Man spreading army hammer So so the third act like Cash gets To go to the house of Steve Lift played by army hammer who's like the head of the slavery corporation <laughs> um he's and the Steve Jobs of the slavery corporation he is he's like <laughs> the Jeff Steve Bezos. I think he's yeah. I think Army Hammer of
3: the slavery
1: yeah. corporation. I
2: think Army Hammer said he looked at Steve Jobs and Elon Musk yeah that, and I, I
3: that
1: can would make see sense that. That would make I can see sense. all of especially that especially Silicon Valley yeah. yeah
2: yeah um and so there there's this big third act party um where essentially you find out that because people don't want to work um, they're limited and you know, they need to have more production. They're essentially selling um hybridization of horse people. Um yeah, Army Hammer's character is essentially Doctor Moreau. And uh they're they're fucking around with like gene altering and turning people into horses and they want cash to be the martin luther king, the of,
3: martin luther king.
2: of the horse people <laughs> essentially to act as like a live-in scab to like convince them that this is the way to go um
3: but they don't want him
1: to be a martin luther king they want him to pretend to be a pretend to be yeah. exactly
2: it is it is all the front um yeah, that's a really long way of saying that Army Hammer does a lot of really awesome and terrible shit in this uh, third act. So yeah, Karen thought I oversold the, the Army Hammer in a sarong uh, moment. I...
1: I okay, no, I don't feel. Okay, <laughs> let me clarify. Yes, I don't please. think
2: you oversold
1: the moment. I think that you oversold the amount of screen time this was given i i don't care it was perfect it was
2: perfect everything I think it needed
1: to be more Kristen's Kristen is gonna get this
4: dvd and just go back and like
2: watch am, it and then go back and i'm bo- a be,
1: non-army hammer fan i'm asking for more sarong
2: so there, there. there could be a whole there could be a whole bonus behind the scenes making of where he's just wandering around in it we could get get like floor length shots be. of it there should um be. And everything it with him in the third act is let me have my legs wide open with this sarong on. I'm just like, "Why? Okay, this is the second movie i had heard where he was going to be naked." Just saying. Just either do it or shut up about it. I mean, don't tease me, man. Okay? So there could He's be a cutting a room floor
3: scene of him doing coke while naked.
2: Oh my god. Okay, so I bet there is. somebody <laughs> When when this premiered at like what is it South, Sundance or South by Southwest this year somebody had e- somebody had emailed me and said you're gonna get Army Hammer doing a line of Coke as big as your arm in a sarong with a riding crop and I was like oh give that to me now <laughs> um, and it was everything I wanted uh, I was totally okay with it um, Army Hammer says a lot of derogatory words that I could cross off the list of things i never needed to hear him say but now i've heard him say it and it's working for me oddly enough um but i just love the gleeful like joy he has in this role just remind you that he looks like you know a a 80s villain and he'd probably do really well in like a brett easton ellis book um because there's there's this uh weird joyous uh appreciation for his character um and i love how he is a man who knows his colors because I learned the distinction between an olive door and, and a, a jade, jade door. door. That's very
3: important to know.
1: Yes. The jade yes. door. That
2: was, that was not, that is obviously olive. Yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, but all of that leads to horse people. My, so, so I don't know about you guys. When the horse person fell out of the bathroom stall, my friend hit me super hard and she was like, is that Dick? <laughs> I was like, "Thank you for pointing that out to me." She was mystified by the fact that there was junk, but it was attached to a horse person in this movie. So, well, it
1: was kind of hard to miss because it's not little.
2: I, yeah, I was gonna say it's 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 about as prominent as the man spreading that army hammer does in this movie. <laughs> um, which is yeah. So that's saying something. So good for the movie doing that. Um, but yeah, I just I just love how it just. There's really no way to continue that sentence. It's just, it happens. Um, how did you guys take the third act reveal of Horse People and Army Hammer being awesome? I was stunned that they kept it quiet for as long
3: as they did. <laughs> I had, I mean, I, I was waiting for Army Hammer doing Coke and the Sarong. I knew that was coming. But then as soon as we got into the Horse People, the. With the heroin induced horse people because they have to what there's a special kind of heroin that they snored in order to turn them into that, yeah, and it's I feel like honestly I'm still processing that third act I know i i was I know a lot of people who weren't feeling it didn't like it, and i can I can honestly say I was not in that camp, but figuring out how to interpret it is still proven to be something that's just feeling above my head
2: i will say i would have i wish they would have played with the ambiguity a bit more there's what keith stanfield says throughout the rest of the third act he's questioning whether he's been turned into a horse person um by you know uh on the sly and i would have liked a couple more minutes of ambiguity before you find out that yeah he has um although the reveal is really shocking
1: it is and they wait until the very last moment of the film i mean they would have had to just make the make it a little longer of a movie which i don't think they necessarily needed to my thing with that reveal of the horse people um i was a little concerned about myself because i was not that shocked I definitely didn't see it coming, but when I saw it, I was just like, "Yep, that seems like the
2: logical next step." It seems <laughs> like Army Hammer would have totally done. <laughs> I I will tell you, I hit my friend at a certain point when when you find out that his house is like an orgy fest. I was like, "Yep, that sounds like something that happens in Army Hammer's house on a Wednesday." You know, it's just like Orgy Wednesday at his house. Yeah, that that yeah. And, and the thing is, is that I I told you guys already, but army hammer gets my my line of the year in this movie there's a moment in this film where i was like i need to get this printed on a t-shirt because it's great <laughs> and it was uh, it's the scene where uh keith stanfield's character finds the phone his cell phone which has the message from the horse people on it and army hammer's character pops out and he says if you beautiful perversions don't shut the fuck up i will turn you into glue <laughs> it's, I don't know why it makes me giggle, but it does. Um, maybe because he's dressed like, you know, like he's got a Jesus shirt on the whole time. And yeah, it just sounds like something he would say. Um, so yeah, I, I, was, I was down for the whole third act horse people rebellion that happens. I would have actually liked more like horse people wandering around the street, but I'm assuming the limitations of like special effects probably would have prevented that. Kristen, we know we we know you like that one because he sounds like a perverted, kinky Dr. Moreau. Yeah, no, he does. <laughs> That's why if you read my uh, Citizen Dame 5, I tried very hard not to specify, but I really want him to star in a big budget version of the Island of Dr. Moreau. He could be... Dr. Moreau, Oscar Isaac could be Ed Douglas and it would just be amazing. That would really be great actually. I know like, it would, I right? Would be totally Hollywood. Into that. Call and, me up. I'm just I'm making deals on Twitter now with celebrities. So <laughs> let me just just give me a three picture deal. I promise it will work out.
4: Oh, and I absolutely agree he's he's so great in that role because he's he's insane and he's charming and he's just like it just, you just sit there and go like oh you beautiful asshole like I, hate I know you so much and you're gorgeous and I
2: hate you and stop it just stop is this doing how this. Karen feels every day about him
4: <laughs> <laughs> you're beautiful and I hate you
2: he's having such I, a blast I don't hate him I just yeah. want
1: to punch him although I don't want to punch his bearded face He's got a so nice beard. if he keeps the beard, keeps I no nice longer beard. want to. Punch he is
2: on the list of men. It's a very short list <laughs> of people I will be okay with if they've got a beard. I do Again, not.
1: I beard, don't normally
2: yours. like that. That's just not my thing. Oscar Isaac does, it, and I'm like, mm, 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 hard pass, stop. Uh, but but Army Hammer does it. I'm okay with it. He's on the list. It's like three people on that list, but he's he's one of them. So see,
1: I see. I generally like. I, I'm enjoying a beard as long as it's well kept.
2: <laughs> well, you yeah, have to see well him kept.
1: in, uh, in Free Fire.
2: That's I right. That. Okay, yeah, but I mean... we don't want that beard. We want, don't want Birth of a Nation beard, okay? That, that's too much. It's too this much. This beard we need... is fine, though. Yeah, this, that, <laughs> this exactly. It's
1: very nice. It's a lovely beard.
2: Hold on, guys. Can we pause real quick? I gotta let my dog out.
1: Okay. What that we were, like, horse people, and they were just like, no, no, Army Hammer's beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a guy that, um, that I know I'm in a group of friends. I don't know him that well, but he's pretty cute. The last time I saw him, he had this gorgeous beard and then I saw him yesterday and he had shaved it and I was like, Oh no. That doesn't <laughs> like work you anymore. <laughs> like his face just isn't the same without it. <laughs>
4: just like, oh no, no, oh I I like you less now.
1: Yeah. So I went over to him and I was just like what happened to your face? <laughs> and he goes, "What do you mean?" And I said,
3: "I said it's bald." <laughs> I didn't mean for it to come out that way, but. <laughs> See ordinarily, I'm not a beard fan, and it worked. I didn't Army used Hammer. to be.
1: I didn't used to be, but I I, I finally realized I needed to accept it when I saw Hearts Beat Loud because Nick Offerman's beard in that is very nice. Well, he's just, and just that's spectacular. He really is yeah but that's when i realized like oh crap i kind of like beards
3: (laughs) beards they're a thing now
1: they are
4: with army hammer too because he does just such have a classically handsome face
2: Mm -hmm. it kind of cuts through that a
4: little bit it makes him a little more rugged a little more like like i'm back
3: like he a normal person, less, I guess. Yeah. See, I was yeah, going to say exactly. kinky Greek god, but. Oh
2: my gosh. <laughs> I came into that a kinky Greek god. <laughs> I'm, Army, you know what we're okay talking We're still on Army Hammer with the Beard. Yeah. That sounds like Taylor Sheridan's new movie right there, so. <laughs> it kind of does. I know, right? Well, How I literally. Take made... I'm just saying, you have no idea. I actually came up the other day with a big troll campaign for that movie when it actually happens. Nice. I'm gonna troll the shit out of it. <laughs> awesome.
1: Okay, awesome. let's get back in here because I gotta finish. Yeah. Right.
2: Anything else we wanna touch oh. on other than Army Hammer? <laughs>
1: You just want to touch Armie Hammer <laughs> Well yes I do That's I, why he have... does
2: not come to AFI Fest Because the Citizen Dame <laughs> Patreon Is going to be utilized for bail money
4: He's in New York right now You know I feel like I should go And, and just you hang out on Broadway like, I, see, I see so many people Just on the subway at 42nd He was talking
2: Street. about how he goes on the subway And all Yeah he's there Lauren you need to go You need I'll to find go. him and you need to tell him that your pathetic handicapped friend named Kristen, who is sickly and dying, um, yes, <laughs> needs to be in his presence. I need to bask in his essence for a second so that I can be cured of oh, <laughs> my gosh. imaginary illness. All right, over. one, one touch of
3: those hands.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Where he can choose wherever they go. Worst people. I'm Worst
1: not editing people.
2: any of this out. Please
4: don't. <laughs> Horse horse people. Horse people. The major turn in the entire film is horse people. And yes, I am with you guys that it is. I actually really liked it. Like when it initially happened, I was like, "What the fuck is about to happen now?" Like it was just this moment of, "I don't. I have no idea. I don't know what will happen. I have no clue." And I love the this total chillness with which Army Hammer is like, "Well, if you had listened." And, and like not gone through that door then I would have it, this wouldn't be a shock
0: mm-hmm. exactly um, like and he, mean,
4: that's a one he really does just
2: like you know Go. Uh, let me explain to you why this is happening and it'll totally make sense right because I, yeah. I think the funny thing is, is that for you know I, I think what Boots Riley is saying is that the amount of when you have that much money and power everything sounds logical you know everything sounds rational like why can't you do this um I think it's hilarious that for for the character the benefit for Lakeith Stanfield's character to do this is his dick essentially um you know so there's advantages there and and
4: yeah there's no I was just gonna say there's a sick you're right there's a sick rationality to it and the way that he presents it is is like oh This makes total sense. It's completely wrong and evil and unethical and this and it makes total sense and it's horrible. Um and and it's that's what's so powerful about it. It's like it's taking all of the elements of the film and pushing them to the furthest logical extent that he can. And that's what's so horrifying about it. And I think that it you know, and, and you can see it as heavy handed, but it really does hammer home, like this is, this is the direction that this is all going. And it's not that implausible in its own sort of fucked up way. So maybe we need to step back and take a look at ourselves for a little while.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just Horse people. Horse people. Army Hammer. Island of Documura. That's all I want. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else we should uh, mention before we close it out? just that people should go see it yes people should go see this if you've Um, already seen it go see it again exactly I'm going to see it again uh, preferably in a theater with air conditioning I, I did mention this on Twitter and I included Boots Riley in the tweet that I sent um, that I went to go see this last week. I tried to go see this last week when it was 103 degrees with my mom. And we went into the theater and they were like, awesome, You, I got a seat. I was gonna have like my uh, actual seat. I was gonna have to yell at anybody. And they're like, so the theater actually doesn't have air conditioning. That's not gonna be a problem, right? And I was like, are, are why do they have a theater that doesn't have air conditioning? Exactly. It broke, apparently. It and it broke. wasn't going to get fixed. And I was like, okay, well, are you going to move the movie to another theater, like another room in the theater, like at some point? No. It's going to be like that all day. Yet there were four screenings of Ant Man and the Wasp. And I kind of was saying, like, I didn't want to make it a racial thing. Like, hmm, the movie about a black guy doing a white person's voice directed and written by an African-American man gets shut out into a theater with no air conditioning. Like, hmm, questionable. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that has been fixed and that I can go see it this weekend So I'm trying very hard not to scream horse people in front of my mom because um, I want her to see it, but it's becoming very difficult. Yes. I'm
1: dying to know what she says about it. Yeah. I know. I told her this
2: week we're going to see Sorry to Bother You. Next week we're going to see Blind Spotting. So, it's going to be uh, a very awesome uh 2 weeks of great movies. Um I won't I won't say which movie I think is better, but um, it, this one's great. You should go see it.
3: Stay tuned for our end of the year lists for that
2: one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, um, that'll be great. It's so, such a
4: unique film. Like there's there's it has, you know, it has those affinities with things like The Island of Dr. Moreau or um, uh, Soylent Green. Yeah. Stuff like that, but it really it's, it's is It's like just, Clockwork
2: *Clockwork Orange, I think, was yeah. the comparison I made. Yeah, it,
4: but it really is just its own thing, and it, it's one of the most unique films, uh, narrative films, certainly, that I've seen in recent years.
2: Most definitely. Yeah, it's awesome. So go see it. Support... Just go for Army Hammer's beard, uh, and you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, Tessa Thompson's great, so everybody's good. Go see it. Um, you could definitely—I mean, if you have the option between this and Mama Mia, here we go again. <laughs> Come on, okay, this should be no contest. It's not Mama Mia, sorry. Hmm. Uh, We'll talk about Mama Mia on, on the net, the regular episode this week. So, uh, as always, you can uh, reach us a variety of different ways. You can send us an email uh, at citizendamepod at gmail.com. I keep forgetting that we have an email account, but um, we do. So send us a- an email. You can listen to the show either directly at, t- uh, t- I was going to use my other podcast, citizendame.podbean.com, as well as Stitcher Radio and um, Spotify. We're on there as well, Um, so definitely uh, give us a rating, review if you're listening on iTunes. Any way you listen to the show, definitely give us praise, because that would be nice. Um, You can also check out our official Twitter, at Citizen Dame Pod, and we have our website. CitizenDamePod.com, where we do our uh, weekly top fives. Um, The top five this week is literary adaptations that we want to see. And now that you know everything about Sorry to Bother You, my uh, Island of Dr. Moreau um, choice will not seem so weird. Um, Kim also does her Feminist Fridays and Lauren is uh, at Fantasia Fest virtually. So she's been uh, reviewing some some great movies that have been playing there. Um, so definitely check that out. And if you want to go the extra mile of helping Citizen Dame and, and get access to some exclusive content, you can head over to patreon.com slash citizen dame. You'll get access to our uh, March Madness boyfriend draft, our talk about um, the Star Wars franchise and Solo, Karen and I's audio commentary for Sicario, um, we are gonna be doing uh an upcoming episode all about Jeff Goldblum for mm. Lauren. Um I don't get uh, it. We'll talk about Karen. it. We'll talk uh. about that. Yeah. we <laughs> are <laughs> talk about four measly dollars away from the Man from
3: Uncle episode. Help yes, us get if you there. want
2: if you want us to talk more about Army Hammer's awesomeness, we are four dollars away from doing a whole Man from Uncle episode. That's like a latte, people. Exactly. (laughs) For the price of a latte, you can hear us talk about Army Hammer and his Russian accent, Henry Cavill not flirting in a weird, rapey way. And
1: possibly another special guest.
2: A special guest. There's going to be 60s hair. I mean, come on. It's going to be great. So help us get there. Um, You can follow us individually on our Twitters. I'm at journeys underscore film. Karen, where are you? I am at Karen M. Peterson. And Lauren Humphries-Brooks.
1: I am at LH Business.
2: And Kimberly Pierce. At KPierce624. So that's uh, going to conclude this bonus episode of Citizen Dame. Stay tuned for the regular show, which is going to be coming out soon, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.
0: Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. Like this young blood.
1: Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal
0: View. Finding my white voice. Well, you know, it was it was a difficult process. You no, know, I have a I have a very very, you know, street urban accent. If you could put a Brooks Brothers jacket and a pair of Dockers on a voice, well, that's That's what we got. How much white is too white for this voice? I would say if you're pronouncing the letter H in the word white, you've gone too white. White voice at all times, here. I uh, almost forgot. A lot of people were adamant that I not do this. They were anxious for me to fail. The guy from The Hollywood Reporter. Sean Hannity. Guy from The Telegraph. Bokeem Woodbine. Your young daughter who was just born. Every shift manager at every Bennigan's I've ever either eaten in or worked in. This was definitely one of the harder things I've done. This and then also when I played the lead role in Veronica Mars. Practicing repeatedly every day, I would set the alarm 6.15 and I would do a classic, we're going to be late for soccer. We're going to be late for soccer. We're going to be late for soccer. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, there, I got it. Patton Oswalt did the, we're all, We're going to be he late for It's a three hour time difference. I'm in New York, he's in LA. He's probably still masturbating. A lot of people talk about a cultural appropriation. I had to culturally disappropriate. They've already given me a number of awards that aren't necessarily associated with this kind of thing. I've gotten a Peabody, a Booker Award, Caldecott, you know, which is an award for illustrating children's books. Come time for the White Voice Oscars, I think a lot of people are gonna be eating some crow. Time for the homies!